What would the world be like if we allowed children to have a voice in international policy discussions? What would school be like if we combined art and science classes so that children could find creative solutions to global environmental problems? These are the questions we're going to explore with today's guest. Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskal. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, We'll introduce you to innovative ideas, we'll stretch your thinking, and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you that you can join Diane and I on a teacher adventure to Kenya in June of 2020. Visit bookbagtours.com. We're going to be visiting schools, talking with some of the most innovative teachers in the world, going on safari, and creating amazing experiences where we can all learn together and have just an incredible experience. So we hope to see you there on that trip with us. As a Californian living in Vienna, Austria, Peter Hill teaches children between 10 and 18 years old. He's leveraged his background in art, science, and the IT startup world to empower children through a globally recognized NGO, Kids Save Ocean which, through its exhibitions, software development, and collaboration with the United Nations, intends to both help kids protect the ocean and give them a formal voting seat in the UN. Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to be on, man. little shocking, uh, connecting with people on the other side of the world, but what a nice, what a nice way to spend the Saturday. Yeah, technology is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what you're passionate about and what you do? Well, I... I teach both uh, art and biology. So I, I'm a trained scientist. Um, I'm a conservation biologist. And um, we're, I'm in Austria now, <laughs> to, to put that thing into context. Uh, but I'm from California. And when I was in California and also in Hawaii, I used to teach university. Um, so to, to, to segue towards what I'm doing now, um, I had this, this, this deep science background. But I also uh, used to work as an artist. Um, and when I uh, arrived here, um, I ended up uh, unexpectedly teaching young people, which, by the way, uh, was one of the, the greatest surprises in life, something I never intended. It didn't, it didn't even occur to me, actually, to teach kids, but it's been one of those things which I wish I would have thought of, and I'm incredibly grateful to have the opportunity uh, to work with young people. And uh, what I do is really combine uh, that background and that passion um, for, for conservation in particular, um, and, and my love of art. Um, and that's really what's uh, enabled us to, uh, to go so far uh, with the work that we've done. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the art projects that you and your students have worked on? Well, I mean, we've done a gazillion things, but I, I mean, the, the, the biggest one uh, right now is, is something which started two years ago. Uh, and I, in one of my art classes, I taught the kids about uh, uh, plastic ocean pollution. And Two years ago, nobody here had any idea, but being a California surfer, I, I, I of course, was 
very painfully aware of it. Um, and they were so traumatized, as everybody is when we learn about it, um, that when I, I came up with a suggestion, I'm like, you know, why don't we build a giant whale to, to really bring attention to this? They were like, yes, yes. And it, and it was extraordinary. Uh, and we indeed built a giant whale. It's five meters long. I mean, it took about six months to make. It turned out absolutely beautiful. In fact, right at this moment, two years later, it's on exhibition uh, in what's called the Austrian Academy of Sciences under this absolutely monumental, uh, it looks like the Sistine Chapel, actually, this Baroque um, ceiling, and it's absolutely magnificent. Um, so, so that whale that we built uh, to bring attention to, to this the issue of plastic ocean pollution, um, after we'd finished it, uh, regardless of how, how absolutely stunning it was, um, we decided it wasn't enough. Um, so then uh, I suggested to the kids that why don't we approach the United Nations uh, and try to have a summit, a uh, summit uh, where they would get to, to really uh, share their feelings uh, about the, the topic, um, to teach each other about the problems and the solutions to plastic ocean pollution, and then really communicate um, what they felt with the world. And, and actually, this, that, that's really the theme of, of all the things that I have done and really am doing with my current project is really to give kids a voice to, and, and not just like a one-time, uh, you see them on TV one, you know, and that's nice, but, but to really figure out a mechanism to give them a very powerful voice, um, both locally and internationally. And uh, the UN, uh, they embraced the project. Uh, and we had this summit last June, and it was a huge success. I mean, it's there are articles in eight languages. Um, there, uh, I was contacted by CNN, um, by the Sierra Club, uh, and one component of it because I wanted them to create something definitive. Oh, and by the way, the the, the entire summit uh, was run by the kids at the UN, at the biggest space in the UN. And it took quite a bit of convincing <laughs> for me to convince the UN uh, that that was possible. But the, the people, the kids uh, that were in charge of it, they're incredibly bright. And they, they ran it perfectly. In fact, there, was, uh, there were some UN people there who um, were observing and they said that rarely uh, is, are these meetings ever on time. Um, so they uh, apparently achieved something which normally never occurs at the United Nations. <laughs> The one component of the summit um, was to create a children's declaration. I wanted them to uh, devise uh, in their own voice um, something which really communicated how they felt and really encompassed also the, the topics that they went over during the summit itself. So what they did is they, and, and the kids wrote the, the, the declaration as well. And there's some other stories that spin out of this, which are unbelievable, by the way, which I, I get to in a unbelievable, surreal is, is the correct word related to this this declaration um but the the, the so, the, so we created that and uh the kids um prioritized what they felt should be done and, and in the declaration itself is this prioritized list and actually we we initially were set uh trying setting up meetings and really have set up meetings actually with the austrian president and we were invited by um prime minister may to come to england to discuss ocean policy uh, with her, um, but, but really only recently, I, recently did I get the money together actually to send it to um, all of the heads of state on the planet. Uh, and we just recently did that and the letters uh, are just coming in, kings and queens and presidents and 
prime ministers. I got one yesterday from, uh, I don't even know who, I haven't even opened it yet. It's from, it's from Bermuda, from the government of Bermuda. <laughs> so it's been, I mean, it's been an extraordinary um, trip. And I mean, r really what that reflects, um, I mean, it's great to get some letters from some, some wonderfully important people, but they really, and this is, this, if you read the letters, you, you see this, they really heard what the kids said. Um, and they really took it to heart. I mean, now is a special time in history, especially with Greta and everything, that this is really gaining a lot of momentum. Um, and certainly, I think in the context of all that, it's, it's, uh, it's much easier to reach the right ears. Um, but it's really been, been phenomenal, phenomenal ad adventure. <laughs> what does it look like in your classroom to empower kids to step onto a world stage and advocate for something so important? I think for a lot of teachers, that would be something that would be overwhelming. One thing that was very important uh, for me, of course, was to really include the kids as much as possible. So just to, to, to backtrack to the process before we got to the UN, um, what I would do, initially, I created a proposal, but at every point in time, uh, I would go into the classroom and ask the kids. I would have basically a list of questions and they would make the decisions and I would just write down whatever they said and everything that they said or any ideas that they had was really incorporated in this process. Um, and of course, I also had to go many times by myself to the UN. Um, but in the end of the day, that process that we laid out uh, with the kids, um, for example, uh, they would be in groups of three or four I, uh, to prepare them, to prepare themselves uh, for giving these talks, I, I collected um, a bunch of information relative to whatever solution. And these were based on the best solutions in humanity. Um, you know, the, the best ones we have. Um, but what they, they did is they took this material and then they found their own material. And then based on all of that, they really decided for themselves, you know, what, what do we think? in this particular area is really the most critical. And then really on their own, entirely on their own, um, they really prepared the talks and they, they, they were very short, they were five minute talks, um, but it's a remarkable thing to do when you have uh, this, the biggest space in the United Nations, the ones you see on TV. Um, so they had the, you know, the, the, the PowerPoint projector and um, the microphones uh, and they all of them and they practiced on their own they did everything I really didn't uh, um, you know we didn't have any practice sessions or anything like this but the kids the, the kids that did this are incredibly bright I mean there was really no question and that's really what I communicated to the UN um, and what was really I have to use the word surreal again was that we came up with this this whole concept and then watched it unfold in front of our eyes precisely like like it was planned and more beautiful and more powerful uh, than than I certainly could have ever imagined and I have quite a big imagination <laughs> so it was really it was really a, a remarkable thing and an honor to to get to experience it and of course I mean for the kids it's it's been I mean it, it was really not the end of things um, many of those kids are, are still active um, in fact, uh, next month we're going to uh, represent Austria, two of the children who uh, were some of the movers within that group um, at one of the biggest uh, climate summits uh, on the planet. Um, so there's a youth component, but the youth also are uh, incorporated with the, the adults, with the VIP um, scientists and uh, diplomats um, that are really um, you know, working through the meat and potatoes of, of global policy on, on climate. 
So, I mean, it's led to, to a lot of other things as well. So the kids really, they really realized uh, their potential. And I continue to push, of course, uh, for opportunities for them to, to really, um, in a very profound way, um, make a difference. There's so many levels of incredible to all this, from surreal that you explain of just what are the odds that your students would be in, in these circles of conversations. But when we think about student voice, that's what this whole project and your mission seems to be behind it, is how do we give students a voice? Tell me about your passion for, for that level of communication for kids. That kind of really goes back to when, when I think, what, what does it mean to be a teacher? What, what am I doing? Um, I think, of course, you need to prepare kids. You need to give them a base of knowledge that they can use, that they can draw from, that the context that they have, so they can make choices about what they, they want to do, and, of course, just to be generally knowledgeable. I mean, I think above all for me is really to enable them to be their best selves, um, whatever that happens to be. Um, and of course, generally to prepare them uh, for life in terms of knowledge. But also I think um, what's more and more important, uh, which is connected to the other two, is really to get them to, to understand and participate in democracy. Um, and when, when I mean that, uh, what I mean is, uh, if kids are gonna thrive in their lives, I think it's really important that they thrive in the future and that there is a future uh, that, that's to be hoped for. And uh, things are, are really not going too well environmentally, as, as we all know. Uh, and that's really due to some of the flaws in our democracy. And this isn't just ours this is in America. Um, I'm here in Austria, suffers the same thing. Um, you know, the fact that uh, Electoral politics is really driven by short-term short goals uh, and environmental issues are long range. And the democracy has not been able as of yet to really deal with, with this. Um, and then there's the other fact, of course, that corporate uh, power uh, really hacks the, the political system. Um, so I think we really need to, to give kids a real voice uh, to empower them um, to, to really change things. Um, because uh, what I witnessed in this process uh, is just how much uh, they're capable of. And you, got, you, you two know this, um, but there are a whole lot of people that really have no idea um, of what kids are, are really actually capable of. Um, but if you, if you really provide them a powerful mechanism to, to use their creativity, um, to their imagination, for them to, to really connect to the scientific facts and understand the process of science, its limitations and its strengths, uh, so that they can make uh, good judgmental decisions uh, about what they should do and then give them a process by which they can actually do it. I think we really need to, as educators, go on the offensive to, to really empower kids in a way that's never happened before because uh, the current um, processes of democracy in terms of maintaining a livable, sustainable world are not working. So I think uh, the job as a teacher is not just to empower them to be them their best selves, but really to, to push forward with changes within education uh, that can enable them to really, to really have a voice and make a deep impact. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor that's made today's show possible. GoToScience is an incredible tool that helps pre-K through second grade children learn reading, math, and the rest of the core curriculum by using scientific inquiry to drive their learning. Students love going on virtual adventures around the world and taking initiative in their own learning. Each month, we give away a free one-year subscription. 
To win this month, all you have to do is share the podcast website with your followers on either Twitter or Facebook. Make sure to tag us. Our Twitter hashtag is at Ed, the number four, Better World. And our website is ed4betterworld.com. I'd also like to announce that you can meet Diane and I in person at ISTE in Philadelphia this June. We have an announcement that we're going to be making really soon about a live podcast recording that we're going to be doing at ISTE where you can join us. Make sure you listen to future shows for details. Now let's get back to the show. I think that answer leads us right back to, uh, to something you had said before. You said that out of the UN declaration, there were some incredible stories of impact from <laughs> students. Okay. So I, think, I think this is probably a great time for you to tell us some of those stories because it fits in so well with that answer. So, so a couple weeks ago, something very surreal happened. Uh, I was uh, contacted by uh, David Boyd. And now David Boyd, he is the UN rapporteur uh, for human rights and the environment. And his job, and he's the boss in this particular area, his job is really to uh, create a connection um, between human rights and, and environmental protection. So meaning that uh, one equates with the other. If you, if you do not have a sustainable world, uh, you, you have no ability to exercise your human rights. Um, and toward this direction, uh, the first thing, or not the first thing, but the thing he's working on right now is to create a children's declaration of the right to live in a sustainable world. And he contacted me because he came across my work uh, and he, he liked what I was doing and he wanted some advice. So I took many days to, to really think through. And I mean, this answering his little question, uh, I, I'm certain is the most important thing I will ever do. <laughs> uh, I couldn't sleep actually for I was I was a wreck after like five days. But anyhow, I, I got the answer, the, the, the answer, which was like seven pages long, by the way, um, basically laid out a framework as to what I did and what based on my experience and his um, goals uh, might work for them. And he, he loved my ideas and immediately uh, sent it to the team that's going to initially going to be working on this project in Bogota. There are going to be a series of regional uh, conferences. Um, yeah, so what that means is, and, and by the way, this, this declaration that, that they're creating, this children's declaration, is really a key part of their strategy to push a global mandate connecting uh, human rights to environmental protection. So, so it, it seems as if um, my little art project uh, will have a marked and long-lasting impact on global diplomacy. That's the surreal part. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and that's where Epic happens, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, it's interesting that you have uh, this connection with art and biology together. And mm -hmm. that's not in common with a, with a lot of biology professors that I've met over the past, because there's so much art that can be done as you're studying plants and animals, flora and fauna. I mean, I teach with a, quite a few biology teachers and none of them um, really have any strong background in art it's it, it, it's relatively uncommon i think okay. um so yeah. I, I i'm very extremely grateful uh that i, I just have this bend uh toward creativity and, and it's not just building things it's also towards you know thinking abstractly and being able to to connect the dots between um complicated processes and and then maybe potential solutions and really to also help the kids 
to really think that way. Cause that's actually, that's one, um, that's one area that it's becoming more and more apparent uh, that it's really, really, really important. One of the reasons why my whale, the whale was chosen for an exhibition was it was a kind of cornerstone of a international uh, symposium on sustainability. And it really, if you could summarize the entire symposium, which was a couple days long and had international scientists there and politicians and all, all kinds of different people. Um, it was really that the, the world of science needs to be connected. Um, the fabric of the world of science needs to be connected uh, with everyday people. And the, the best way to do that very often is through, through creative means, either through abstract thinking, but also through, through, through enabling the kids really to communicate as we did um, through developing things like this, this giant whale and everything that came. It was really a symbol of this problem. And in fact, the title of the sculpture is The Last Whale. Uh, and that's really a reflection of what will happen, will happen if we don't dramatically change um, what we're doing. I'm curious, I want to dig into the, the art science connection just a little bit more. Um, I've always believed that the arts are a way for our students to to go through the process of being able to understand beauty in the world. And and I think that's such an important piece to to conservation. And I don't think, as you mentioned, I think that this, this connection is often missing. But, but there's also, at the same time, this, this push for STEM to become STEAM in different areas, right? As we're innovating to think about the, uh, the aesthetics of, of, what we're, um, of what we're creating. Remember, I'm from a real different world, and I've heard of STEM. STEAM is just also adding art to this? Yeah, this yeah, so the, yeah, so, okay. so STEAM would be adding in arts or, uh, or aesthetics into, uh, into the STEM process. Um, so basically taking the design process and infusing art into it. But, but one of the things that I've always seen as a, as a science teacher is that art is the thing that is done extra, right? Like it's, let's take this STEM project and, and make it pretty in some way. But I think that what you're doing is so much more profound because you are using art as the basis for kids to, to be able to access emotionally the scientific content. Let me answer your question in a different way because I really see it a bit different. Um, for me, it's, it's a really di different process that I'm going through. Um, so on one hand, we have the, the, this magnificent whale that we created in art class. Um, but another class that I, I'm gonna have, oh, and I teach a lot of art classes, like oil painting and filmmaking and all, all kinds of things like that. Um, and all, really all those things, are, again, are to give kids a voice to let them um, communicate uh, whatever it is that's under the, under subconscious or conscious or whatever. But um, in terms of really the, I, what I feel the most empowering part of, of this creative sphere is really the ability to, to test out um, new ways of doing things. Um, and the class that um, I'm going to teach next year is really exactly that. It's really a, a what do you call it, like a sustainability uh, impact hub basically. So that's what I'm going to do. It's, it's somewhere between science and creativity and business, actually. Um, so what I'm going to do is to, to facilitate their, their creative approaches and experimentation and failure, too. Another critical part, which we experienced a lot, even though we were talking about all these massive successes, um, it, was, it was really, all of it was done playfully. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, we might fall on our face. 
uh, and I, I told them through that entire process, like in it, starting with the whale, I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen because we didn't like, we, there was no book to build a five meter whale. We just made it up. Actually, we made up everything that we did. Um, so that creative uh, spark wasn't just in the, the process of building a, an art object. It was really in the approach to creatively coming up with solutions um, to, to solve a problem and testing those solutions. So, so my impact hub is really gonna be about just that. It's gonna say, hey, here's the issue of sustainability. Now, what kind of crazy ideas do you have to really um, have impact on raising awareness, on changing things? And when I say impact, I don't mean just on the level of the school. I mean, how can you have something which scales up? How can you uh, create something which is really replicable and useful and um, this, this is uh, something which I really work to instill in the kids because you can always focus on things within your classroom, um, but you really, it's not that much more work um, to really think of, conceptualize think, something and test something which can be used by a lot of people everywhere. Um, and that's something which I think is also a really critical skill uh, moving forward for a lot of kids. I mean, because the world, uh, you know, the old world of different careers and different jobs, is really shifting a lot and the, the job market's very flexible uh, and these skills of, of trying things, of testing your assumptions, which is, because I also worked in Silicon Valley. That's another little background thing. Um, so I, actually those are the three things really that I weave in, the creativity, um, the strong uh, science background and love of, love of nature and concern for nature. Uh, and this kind of, uh, yeah, kind of Silicon Valley um, startup approach, basically, uh, which is very, very powerful approach um, and involves, again, a lot of experimentation, a lot of failure, but a lot of ch checking your assumptions and pushing ideas and, and, and also using the opinions of a lot of different types of people. Um, and it's really remarkable um, what, what you can come up with, which you on your own never would have. And, and the process of the, the summit really reflects that. I mean, that was really uh, the sum total of all kinds of ideas um, from all kinds of different people, and um, especially a lot of different people, because I teach at a school uh, which is a bilingual school. Um, and so they get taught in German, and then, and then uh, there's some teachers in English, and a lot of the kids are, are international. So they're kids that come from all over the world. Um, and that was also very powerful in the declaration because they could write if they felt that they could re represent a country. Um, they, it's really an international representation of children um, that was in that declaration. And that's, I think, another reason why um, the summit was so powerful and also the document that was created as well um, really has, has uh, impressed a lot of heads of state around the world. One of the things that I love about that answer, and I'm going to throw it back to Diane for a question in a second, is that, you know, even though you weren't familiar with the term STEAM, you are exemplifying exactly what STEAM implemented well in a classroom is. Like, I mean, you, you, could, not, you could not ask for a, better, um, for a better example of how to do it correctly than what you just described. <laughs> I'm glad I figured it out without the rule book. <laughs> It just goes to show that terminology for us as teachers often is meaningless, right? It's what we do in our classrooms that matters. Tell us about the app that's in the works. Ah, okay. Uh, by, by the way, um, when I initially started uh, this, especially when I started the, the process of developing the summit, 
it was just me and, and the teachers that I work with, um, they're, they're so busy. Uh, I, I couldn't ask any of them um, for help because they're just so overwhelmed, actually. So I'm like, God, I'm gonna, I can't do this by myself. So I thought, yeah, maybe I could um, find some people to help me. Uh, so I, um, I made a, a website, um, which is Kids Save Ocean. Um, and then I w uh, logged on to a, a platform called Volunteer Match. And um, I'm like, yeah, this is w what I want to do. Um, and I could use some help maybe for photographer, um, for organizers, uh, for researchers. Um, and then I also had this idea for a mobile app. Uh, and again, in the same uh, vein as, as all of these components, which is really to, to enable kids to have a powerful voice. Um, and that app's called Fate Changer. And it's, it's very close to being finished. Uh, I have a, it took quite a while for me to, um, to learn really the process of making an app. Um, a lot of failure, well, a lot of failure, uh, but, but that's okay. Um, now I have a global team of developers um, and the iOS version, the Apple version is almost finished. Um, and yeah, and in addition, to, I don't even know how many volunteers I have now, because I have a volunteer, volunteer coordinator who's working with a lot of researchers um, and involved with some other projects uh, related to this. It's been an incredible experience and just giving people this concept, you know, why don't we create an app which uh, really creates a, a, a source of information and, the, and really the entry of the app, the entry topic is plastic ocean pollution. But really it's an entry, to kind of a visceral, visual um, topic uh, to get people to enter, kids and teachers, are, that those are the primary users. Um, and then it, it also will include stuff about uh, the sustainable development goals. Um, because one of the, the biggest issues, and that, that also became apparent, I mean, I knew about it, but it really confirmed my, my suspicion or my conclusion uh, that we really have to boil down our understanding of sustainability. We have all these goals, um, but nobody, if you, if you ask them to explain it to you, could, could ever even, they wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, so one of the things that I, I was determined to do uh, was to figure out a way to create, um, so I actually want to create, I plan, I will create <laughs> magazines that will boil down not just plastic ocean pollution, um, but all of the sustainable development goals and also climate change as well. And it, it will be a really different type of textbook, uh, really boiling away all the stuff that's boring about textbooks um, and really to do it more from the approach of, of, of the way magazines do it, which is to hire not biologists or whatever to write it, but to hire professional writers who are good storytellers um, and to boil it down in a way uh, that's really compelling and also visually compelling. So we're going to go really with the, the style of the edge and the style of a surf magazine. And by the way, one of my volunteers, although uh, I hope and plan to, to bring him on his staff, is a guy named David Carson. And for anybody who knows anything about design, David Carson is basically the world's most famous graphic designer and the coolest. Uh, and he's very stoked about our project and he's going to helm the design of the magazines. And I, I already have, um, by the way, a nonprofit, really an NGO um, that's uh, in California. And that will be uh, something that we'll create to, to help us become a sustainable um, NGO. So we'll be able to, I mean, not that we want to celebrate any crap at all, but we'll, 
make these beautiful um, materials uh, to really facilitate uh, not only kids to understand the sustainable development goals, but through the app to enable them to do something. Well, what does the app do? So it gives you this information. Um, but additionally, um, again, I, I really want to empower them with a voice. So it teaches them, it gives them basically toolkits about how, for example, to uh, connect to local governments, um, to national governments. It it's, it's, uh, facilitates a letter writing campaign and then tracks the letters and then tracks if anything actually happens. Um, it, took, it took quite a bit of time to actually collect all of the addresses of all the heads of states on the planet, but we did it. Um, that's another reason why it took so long to mail all those things to the heads of states, because you'd think there's a list out there, but there hadn't been, but there is now. If you want it, I will send it to you. And that's a great opportunity for us to, uh, to send a plug in for our first ever episode was with Ada McKim, who she was one of the co-founders of the Teach SDGs movement. So if, you, uh, if our listeners want to know more about the sustainable development goals, you can just go back in our archives back to, uh, back to episode one. Great. So Peter, Peter, we're going to ask you one last question, and this is a question that we ask of all of our guests, and we're going to ask you to do it in only one or two sentences. If you could change education to make the world a better place in some way, what would you do? I would do what I'm working on doing, actually, which is to provide young people with a formal voting seat in the United Nations. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast-related goodies. We'd like to thank Peter Hill for being a guest on today's show. Credit for music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we talk with Kansas Millican winner Brad LaDuke about how he helps his students communicate through visual arts. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. Until we're together again, continue to dream big. And affect positive change.